we respond to adversity in our lives? Jesus taught us that as believers that we could expect to experience the challenges, difficulties, and struggles that would certainly come our way. But how are we supposed to handle them? Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich dives into the story of the blind man to give us the answers to that question. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, When Lightning Strikes, from John chapter 9. All right, it's good to be gathered around God's Word with you guys this morning as we see what he has to say to us. As I told you before, we are in the book of John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're going to be reading the first three verses. First three verses. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne once again this morning, it is truly a blessing uh, to have this chance to, to read your word, to study your word, to just dive into it, Lord. It is always truly an honor to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, you are truly an awesome and mighty God, Lord. You are worthy of all our praise and worship and uh, to lift your name in praise and worship this morning is also a blessing. But now, Lord, as we <clears throat> go into this message, we just ask that you help us to prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help us to shut out the, the worries, the troubles, the distractions of the day, uh, that we might be focused entirely upon your word this morning, Lord. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here to present the word. I just ask that you take me and use me as your vessel, Lord. Take away anything that can in any way detract from the message, Lord. Take away any selfishness, pride, uh, anything that may try to vie for my attention even during the time I'm presenting the word, Lord. Just take it all away that I might be filled with your spirit and only speak the words that you would have me to say today. And Lord, as a church, as we continue to push forward, show us your will, show us your way, Lord, that we might always be in the center of what you want us to do. <clears throat> Let us always be focused on uh, being outwardly mission-minded, that we might always look to outreach and to reach out to the community around us, to the uh, people that we've come across that are in need, that you might be glorified and honored in it. And Lord, as individuals, help us to see the opportunities to share your word, to share your love in this lost and dying world that we live in, Lord. And forgive us of our sins, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I know we've uh, discussed during our prayer requests times where many people have come across things or have had things happen in their lives that were sudden and out of the blue and that didn't really seem to make sense or seem fair from our perspective. Uh, I had a co-worker whose child uh, is afflicted with a terminal disease uh, that they found out about and uh, were faced with some very, very hard decisions in accordance with that, we are constantly hearing about individuals who uh, get cancer, who have loved ones in accidents, <clears throat> and uh, it, it can be a very, very hard thing to, to understand, to struggle with, to, to deal with. Um, 
but we ultimately know that the answers that we seek require us to dig into God's word in order to find the solace and the peace um, that we need so desperately in those times. And oftentimes we uh, when we go through these difficulties, when we see these accidents happen, when we see these illnesses befall people and everything, uh, we look at the evil that typically ha- has brought it into play many times or in our minds, and, and we loathe the instruments of the evil, you know, whether it be an accident, somebody's carelessness, whether it be a shooting, whether it be, you know, whatever it might be. We always want to immediately jump to the evil that very often is involved in that. And we find ourselves wanting to kind of lash out. We want to strike out at it and to take up arms and want to try to make things right. But we often forget when we get caught up in those kinds of emotions, when we find ourselves wanting to do something to respond to what we perceive to be evil, is the fact that many times while we think it is all purely evil, God, in every case, has allowed that. In every single case, God has allowed these events to take place. Keeping in mind, God is sovereign over all, and nothing, and I repeat, nothing takes place that He doesn't allow. And the critical thing for to remember is if God has allowed it, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. God doesn't allow for our lives to be buffeted by storms uh, uh, in life with the attitude of, well, whatever, let's see what happens. Whatever happens, happens. You know, let's just kind of let things run their course and, and whatever. No, God takes these instances and uses them to drive toward a specific desired result. They are deliberate. They are purposeful. And as hard as this may be to accept on many occasions, they are for our good. Our verses this morning kind of set the stage to take a deeper dive into this very thing. You know, we find a a man. The apostles come across a man who was blind from birth. He has never had sight, not from the very day that he came into this world. All his years, he hasn't had this privilege. His suffering has been every single day that he has lived. And at this time, we know that he is a man. It was referred to as a man, so he is a grown individual. Everyone looked upon him, and everybody ascribed his affliction to evil. They immediately attached his his difficulties in life, his struggle in life, the fact that he couldn't see with some evil that had created this circumstance. The apostles wondered aloud and asked, perhaps it was the sins of his ancestors was being meted out upon him, or perhaps, and I find this really peculiar, that they would say this, but they said, or did he sin? Think about that for a second. Think about the logic of of thinking that he had done something to make himself blind when he was blind from birth. Clearly, it wasn't something he did if he was blind from birth, because how could he have done something before he was born? And when they inquired of Jesus as to the reason for the affliction, they turned to Jesus and said, Why is this man blind? 
Was it something his parents did? Was it something he did? Jesus does something absolutely amazing. In his answer to the apostles for the circumstances of the blind man, Jesus gives us some key elements for us to understand and show how we should approach suffering in our own lives. And the first element that he talks about is that we should focus on the purpose and not the cause. Notice how Jesus shifted the thinking. The apostles are asking, why is this man blind? Why? Or the source of the man's blindness. And Jesus takes it and shifts it to, for what purpose was this man blind? See, all too often in these dark times, all too often when we're going through struggles in our lives, we start analyzing the situation of the sense of, well, where did we go wrong? Where did I go wrong? What did I do that has put me in this place? What happened that I find myself in these circumstances? We start rehashing everything in our minds. We try to identify the triggers for what, hap- what the circumstances we, we find ourselves in. What could I have done to prevent it, we think? Or perhaps we're beyond the stage and we go to damage control mode trying to stop the progression events that have been set in motion, as if we can undo what has already been done. But in each of these circumstances, we tend to be too focused on what? We focus on the cause, when we really need to be focused on the purpose. Through all the pain and all the struggle, it can be hard to do. I'm not saying this is going to be something that's easy for us to do as we fight through these times. But we need to be focused on the purpose. All the time we look at the devastation in our lives, the broken pieces and unanswered questions, and we we cry out, how could anything good possibly come from all this? And why? 2 Corinthians 4.17 reminds us for our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now this is a a verse that it's hard to, to grab hold of because it says, for our light affliction. And it's not that God is trying to minimize through His Word the struggles that we deal with by referring to it as a light affliction. But it's a comparative statement that shows that the afflictions, the difficulties that we struggle with are but for a short, brief time. And the glory that results is monumental in comparison. But we've got to remind ourselves constantly, it seems, that sometimes that God, or it's constantly remind ourselves that God is at work in us, through us, in the circumstances around us. And whatever He is doing is for our good and for His glory. And this verse reminds us that all we experience in this life is but temporary. And it pales in comparison to the eternal reward that being the subject of God's work is in us. We lose sight in our struggles that the reward we have in heaven is far greater, far more glorious than any difficulty, any struggle that we can face in this world. 
But we also have to remember that our suffering can be a good thing. Our suffering can be a good thing. Doctors and dentists all know, and I've used this analogy before, that in order to improve a person's long-term well-being, sometimes short-term suffering is necessary. Who here would volunteer for a root canal? And yet, sometimes it is necessary for the health of that person's mouth and ultimately his overall well-being. Who would go through chemo or radiation or the pain of surgery and recovery? But doctors know in certain cases this is an absolute necessity in order to find healing. Parents. Parents sometimes find it necessary to make a child's life unpleasant through discipline. Take privileges away. Administer punishment. That the intent of reaping a long-term benefit of proper and correct behavior. The short-term suffering for the long-term benefit. Even athletes, when you think about it. Athletes understand that the hours of pain and suffering spent on the practice fields, on the tracks, on the roads, reap a long-term benefit of success on the fields. And suffering when it comes to God and His work ultimately serves a higher purpose. That's the purpose of shaping us into who He intends for us to be, that He might be glorified. Randy Alcorn in his book, If God is Good, spoke of the time that he and his wife saw this world-famous statue, David, that Michelangelo had created. He used the crafting of that statue as an analogy of how God works in us. When Michelangelo started, he had an ugly, meaningless hunk of stone. But he put his chisel to that stone, and through gradually chipping away at the stone, bit by bit, he was able to real, reveal the beautiful image that he intended for it to be. Now, if the stone had sensation, I am quite sure that with every tap of the hammer it would have protested and perhaps resisted even the chisel. Flinching, pulling away from the source of pain. But you see, this is exactly what God does with us. He begins his work with an ugly, sinful, prideful, self-centered human being. And with every trial and difficulty, he begins to chisel away at us, making us look more and more like what he envisions us to look like, and that being the image of Christ. <coughs> and we also must remember that God does this ultimately that he might be glorified, but as an outgrowth of his love for us. And too often we think that love means to, to do no harm, when it really sometimes means to be willing to do short-term harm for redemptive purpose. God loves us and wants us to become more and more like Jesus. And the biggest advances towards that end occurred during these difficult times. I mean, think about it. How much shaping do you think occurs when everything is grand and everything is good? Everything is going exactly the way we want it to. We see, it seems like it's just smooth sailing. Do we really feel like we give get quite as much growth during those periods of time as when we struggle, when we cry out to God, when we lean on God, 
when we seek God's purpose for why we're going through things that we wouldn't choose on our own. It's in these times of great difficulty that God looks to knock away the largest chunks of unwanted stone and bring us closer and closer to the image of His Son. Secondly, we need to look on how God is glorified in it. We need to seek the purpose, not the cause. And then secondly, we need to see how God can be glorified in it. After Jesus redirected the apostles' thinking initially regarding the blind man's suffering, he gives us a little insight into the foundational purpose of all our suffering. And it's in the phrase that the works of God might be made manifest. That the works of God, that is a key phrase of this passage. That the works of God might be made manifest. In other words, so that God might be glorified. That's what that means. This man was made blind that God might be glorified. What God does for his own sake always benefits us though. Therefore, whatever glorifies him is good for us. Isaiah 48, 10 and 11. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even my, for my own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another? This verse is speaking to the chastisement that Israel was going through at the time. Because once again, they had rebelled against God. They were in that cycle that we saw constantly throughout the Old Testament. And they were in that period of rebellion at the time. And God told them about this. And it gives us some insight into ultimately why God is doing it. Notice at the end how he refers back to the refining or the purification that is being done during that time period. Such that God receives the benefit. It is to purify his people so that he is the one who gets the glory. I kept a saying, and I know I've talked about this before, but I, I used to keep a little piece of paper on my shelf at, when I was at the academy, my academy days. And it was a saying, I was inspired at the time to be a pilot in the Coast Guard. And I kept a saying on my shelf as motivation to kind of keep me going through that time period. And the saying was, the greater difficulty, the more glory in surmounting it, skillful pilots gain their reputation from storms and tempests. Now, I look at that saying now with a different perspective. At the time, it was glory for myself, glory for me, glory for myself in a, being, getting past these difficulties, getting past these struggles. I still believe there's more glory with difficulty, but now I understand that that glory belongs to God and not me. We need, even in our times of greatest pain, to find a way to take our situation and allow it to conform us, to shape us, to mold us. We talked a couple weeks back about pottery and how it is so applicable to us as Christians. And how God uses these circumstances to shape us, to mold us. We have to allow that to happen. When we resist, we can't become what God wants us to become. When the hor horrific things we see happen out in the world today occur, it's interesting because many times 
on the back side of that, particularly when it involves one individual being harmed by another individual, perhaps even killed. And we see their families go on the news or perhaps in the courtroom when they're being addressed prior to their sentencing. And we see that family stand up and say, you know what? You took something immeasurably valuable away from me. But I forgive you. And I'm praying for you. What does that do? That suffering that that individual has gone through, they have turned it and pointed others to Christ, pointed others to God. You look at a circumstance like that, is that person glorified in that? Or does people look at that and say, wow, that, part, that God that they serve must be pretty powerful, that they would take that horrible tragedy that they went through, not only forgive the individual, but say, you know what, I'm praying for you on top of that. <clears throat> Showing the love of Christ, even in the physical pain and suffering of our present-day circumstances. Reflecting Christ through forgiveness, prayer, for those who have caused us such pain. Remember at the peak of Christ's suffering, what did He do? He was praying for the forgiveness of the very ones who had put Him where He was suffering at. You and I probably would have said, God, strike every one of these guys dead. Give me vengeance. But what a beautiful picture that Christ painted for us in doing so. How contrary to our human nature, to our flesh, to be in a period of tremendous suffering and say, I forgive these individuals. God, forgive them. Don't punish them. Forgive them for what they do. But that reveals a love that God has even for the worst of us as sinners. And as such, it brings tremendous glory to His name that He would love an individual even though we are completely unworthy of any of it. In fact, quite the opposite. And if those responsible for Jesus' suffering, the very Son of God can have a petition offered on their, for their redemption, and how much more should we then pray for those who have had a hand in bringing darkness or difficulties in our life? When you think about it, the praying for an individual or somebody who has harmed you in some way has a, a, a several different impacts in our lives. It has several different things that occur when we do this. First, we for when we force ourselves to pray, and we're not going to feel like praying at first. I promise you that. When we go through a difficult time and, it's, and it involves a particular person, we're not going to feel like praying for them. But as they gradually become more sincere, and yes, it's going to be hard to be sincere at first, but we've got to continue to push towards that end. As we become more sincere, we will find a peace with what they have done. And this helps us find a peace in our overall situation. Secondly, part of the growth and healing in these situations may be intended to come from getting us at a point of relying a great deal more on prayer itself. Maybe part of the outcome of what we're facing is God saying, you need to be on your knees more. You and I need to be in conversation a lot more. 
learning to persistently bring our petitions before God, much like the widow before the judge in Israel. Thirdly, spending a lot of time on our knees before the throne of God also turns our attention away from what? <coughs> it takes it off our circumstances. And it took, and makes us look towards Him and His purposes. <clears throat> Especially regarding the difficulties we're facing. Much of what we talk about during these times is how God is glorified before those who witness our suffering. But we can't ever forget that through all of what we experience, and as we emerge from the other side, from the darkness, we give glory to God for the circumstances. Let Him do His work through these times. Let Him mold us. Let Him shape us as we pray, as we study, as we cry out to God for answers. And when we come to a point, not of a fatalistic resignation like, oh well, this is my lot in life, but we come to a point of confident trust. We live in an evil world and we are all imperfect beings. And these two factors will inevitably bring dark times into our lives. And we should not be shocked when it does. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. Rejoice inasmuch as we ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Remember something. This is, it's not all about us. It's all about Him. When we begin to wrap our self-loving heads around that truth, when we will look at these seasons of suffering in our lives and rejoice that God was present and working in our lives and that He received the glory for what was done, our suffering is but for a short time and His glory is forever. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You think Paul was a southerner maybe? For I reckon? We've got to let ourselves become the vessel which God is glorified and God's glory is revealed. And thirdly, We need to give it to God and let Him do His work. You know, when things seem out of control to us, the reality is they're just out of our control. They're still fully within God's control. This is arguably the hardest part of a difficult time in our life, particularly if you have a history of trying to dictate and control the circumstances. Yet it's one of the most foolish things for us to ignore. Simply put, we are in control of nothing except the choices that we make. We don't even control the consequences of those choices. And while God may give us the free will to make our own choices, He ultimately determines if we are successful in what we are set out to accomplish. Even the most sure and obvious 
of plans is powerless before the Almighty God. He's going to dictate the outcome when he sets out to accomplish something, and no amount of our own clever tactics or in our part is going to change that. In fact, we only accomplish to frustrate and exhaust ourselves when we go against his plan. It's hard for us to resign ourselves to the outcome of the events in our lives, to resign that, that to somebody else, to turn control of that over to somebody else. That's hard for us to do many times even when it's God that we're turning it over to. It gives us a sense of kind of helplessness, a sense of isolation, even perhaps a, a bit of wavering hope. And perhaps most frustrating in the timeline of events. We want resolution. We want it resolved. We want it done with. We want to see the solution. We want to see the other side of this. So what is going to come of all of that? We may want to see his work play out, but we want it to happen right now. God, give me patience and give it to me right now, right? Consider for a second the fact that the blind man had to endure his circumstances for years. All of his youth, part of his adult life, before finally God would do His work through him. I can't imagine how many times that young man, that child, that young adult wondered, why me? Why was I born blind? Why am I still blind? For years, he dealt with this. It's an awful long time. And our waiting can seem to be a very long time, too, when we wait for God's glory to be revealed through our circumstances. But it is during these times of our greatest emotional and spiritual need, God has made a provision for us. <clears throat> Isaiah 43.2 says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You see, no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter how dark the path that we might walk, no matter how foreboding the end of the difficult journey may appear, we do not walk it alone. He is with us in every step of the journey. We've got to trust His work. We've got to trust His promises. Now, understand that depending on how this may involve other people we care about or loss in our lives, we still are going to feel the sadness. We still are going to experience the emotional toil of those things that occur. But we can have confidence in the purpose. And we can find peace in Him through our trust and through our keeping our focus on Him. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. What a wonderful verse that is. Think, I want you to think about for a second, what is that saying? What is it saying? It's saying that when we keep our mind on Christ, when we keep our mind in 
focus on God and we place our trust in Him, He will give us a peace in any circumstance we find ourselves in. It's amazing to me how when we turn our focus to God, when we consider how much He is involved in our lives and how much He loves us, when we really focus on those truths, when we really lock in on those realities, how much the fear, the doubt, the uneasiness just kind of seem to melt away. He is our creator. He is our greatest love. He is our Savior, and He is our God. We need to learn to trust in Him and let Him do His work in our lives. <clears throat> we need to learn to let God work in our lives. Maybe somebody here at the sound of my voice is struggling right now. They're struggling through some dark period in their lives and they're looking for reasons. They're looking for answers. Go back to this verse in Isaiah. Keep your mind, your heart, your focus on God. Place your entire trust in Him. Say, God, I am not happy with what's going on. I'm not comfortable with what's going on. I am hurting. I am struggling. But God, you know what? I know you're in this. I am going to trust you for the outcome. It may not be what I want personally for an outcome, but I know it is for my good. I know it is for your greater glory that all of this is occurring. And look and see what kind of peace you end up accomplishing out of that. But I'm here to tell you today that only applies if God knows you. That only applies if you have a relationship with Him. You see, these promises don't apply if you don't have any kind of relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, these circumstances that you walk through, you walk through alone. You deal with it under your own power. And sometimes it can be too much to deal with. But you know what? God doesn't want it that way. God wants every single human being to have a relationship with Him, to understand these circumstances, to understand that He is with us. He wants to walk with you. He wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. And that is only possible through Jesus Christ. Don't buy the world's lies. There are not a thousand ways to God. There's not a million ways to God. There's but one way to God. The Bible is very clear. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is just as crystal clear as you can get. So don't believe the world's lies to the contrary. It tells us that if we will confess our sins before God, call upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, Believe that he died on the cross, took the full weight of the world's sins, the full wrath of God as a result, and rose again three days later that you can be saved. You can experience what it means to have God working through you and walking with you. But only you can make that choice. What will your decision be today? Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer.
Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this morning, we are grateful that we've had this time together, Lord. We are grateful that we have your word to dive into, to peel back the layers and see the wonderful truths that it holds for us, Lord. Lord, as we encounter these times in our lives where we struggle, where we find difficulty, where we seem like the mountain is just too much, the mountain is too high, the seas are too rough, Lord, help us to turn once again to you. Help us to see what the purpose is in this. Not the cause, but the purpose. Help us to turn to you, to lean upon you, to help you to shape us through these circumstances that we might bring glory and honor to you ultimately as we come out of it, as we experience it. And Lord, help us to always look to you for the direction in our lives that we might not ever step outside of your will. Lord, just have your will and way in every life that is represented here today or is at the sound of my voice. May you be glorified in every single thing until you return. And Lord, forgive us of the times that we have become self-centered. We've looked inward. We've cried out in selfishness. Help us to once again retain our focus, retain our, our, our looking to you and and to see that you are glorified in all of it. And Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and Beyond Pod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church Space Hyphen Space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at ProvidenceNBCGaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.